In an age of moral bankruptcy, political sleaze, theological confusion, and aimless religion in a mindless church, we're addressing the need for a Bible-based, intellectually rigorous, 21st century Christian faith. This is Sinners and Saints. Theology with an edge. I'm a Baptist. I go to Calvary Chapel. I'm a Pentecostal. I'm a Methodist. I'm a Nazarene. I'm a Presbyterian. I go to community church. Well, actually, you know what? If you're a Christian, you believe and belong to a holy Catholic church. If you're Christian, you're Catholic. We'll talk about it tonight on Sinners and Saints. Are you a seeker looking to fill up the SUV of your heart at God's pay-at-the-pump gas station? Do you yearn to recapture that feeling of a spiritual high that accompanied you swaying with your hands raised to the rhythm of a conga solo as you sang those deeply inspirational lyrics like, I just want to fall in love with you, Jesus. And don't you just love altar calls? Loads of them. Where even the elders come forward to recommit their lives to Jesus. Well, we at Grace Evangelical Church think that's all so very, very special. Just don't come to our church, or don't visit us online at graceevangelicalchurch.org. You're listening to Sinners and Saints on 99.5 FM, KKLA. Hi, this is Rev. John Sautel, pastor of Congregational Life and Outreach at First United Reformed Church of Chino. We are a Protestant, Bible-based, family-oriented church committed to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are located just off the 60 freeway at Mountain Avenue in Chino. We worship at 10 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. every Sunday. If you'd like more information about our church, give us a call at 866-99-UNITED. That's 866-99-UNITED. We welcome you tonight to Sinners and Saints. We believe in a holy Catholic church. We are Catholic, but when we say we're Catholic, we don't mean that we're Roman Catholic, right? No, that's a perfectly good term to use to identify the church. Catholic is a good term. It just simply means universal. We don't mean to say that we are a part of one denomination, the Roman Catholic Church. We're just simply saying we're united throughout time and history and space as a body of believers, as the body of Christ. People don't understand that the Roman Catholic Church stole the term Catholic and now applies it exclusively to themselves. But I think we need to understand a little bit about how it is that the Roman Catholic Church came to view itself as the one true church in the world. Historically, it's quite an anomaly to have that type of an idea that one location could have absolute dominance over the rest of the church because in the early time of the church, when decisions were made, they were made in a Congress, community. They were made in these ecumenical councils. And to make that point is to underscore the fact that it's a complete contradiction to say I'm Catholic and I'm Roman Catholic at the same time because to say that I'm Roman Catholic is now to identify the church with one particular location and one particular seat of authority and one geographical sphere. And that's never what was intended with the use of the term Catholic going all the way back to the earliest of the church. Yeah, and when Catholic was used in the early days, it was to say that, look, what we believe is believed by all people who have been identified with the apostolic church. And it's not a localized heresy that we are now trying to foist as being the dominant strain of Christianity. So that's what we have to see. Catholicity means that there was universal assent to these truths taught in all all the centers of Christianity. So to have Roman Catholic particularized truth 
would be an oxymoron. Okay, so how did Rome decide that she was the one true church? Well, you have to look at the history in that when the church first began, it was unified in the Roman Empire as a whole. And even though Greek was being used as the language of the church, nonetheless, you did have the Latin's half of the empire and you had the Greek-speaking half of the empire. What happened was as time went on, as the Roman Empire split up, you wound up with the Latin-speaking half losing all types of the political structures. And so really the only central unifying organization for those who used to be part of the Roman Empire was the church that was left. Whereas in the Greek half, you wound up with multiple centers of Christianity and you don't wind up with this particularization or this superiority of one seat over the others. And so that's something that has to be recognized is that this is a historical anomaly that allowed them to dominate, but it's not part of the theological requirements from Scripture. Yeah, the Roman Catholic Church really came to be because it became a default situation because the Roman Empire divided apart. Before that, the church, when it had decisions to make about doctrinal matters, it called in the heads of the churches from all over the globe where Christianity had spread. But because the Roman Empire divided and fragmented and fell apart, basically now you have the church in Western Europe begin to splinter off and become its own entity. And that's when it decided that it was a true church to the exclusion of the other churches in the old broken up empire. And there are other, there are other dynamics that uh, sort of confirm that or attributed to that uh, belief becoming more widespread and promoted by Rome itself. Peter and Paul were you know, reported to have been martyred there, so Rome would have a prominent place. They got a lot of their bishops were good bishops on doctrinal issues. They got things right, and they preserved orthodoxy in the church, and therefore it was natural that Rome would be seen as the center of doctrine in the church. But again, you have to say, let's look at the wider picture. Where were all the decisions made? All the councils are being held in Asia Minor, uh, Nicaea, Chalcedon. These are Asian cities. They are not part of Rome. Rome only had one or two seats on these councils in which you would would have several hundred bishops attending. Whereas today, you have from the 1800s and the 1900s, you have decisions made by the Papal See where they've made pronouncements about Mary's bodily assumption into heaven and her perpetual virginity. Why weren't such decisions made about the Trinity or the dual nature of Christ if the so-called Pope had authority back then? Why were they conciliar decisions back then? It's because no one recognized the Roman bishop as being the Pope over the Church. Yeah, it wasn't until Leo the Great saying he was the first of all bishops in the 7th century that this understanding of Rome having the primacy and the exclusive ultimate authority to speak for Christ on earth was really formalized and had developed further to that point. But I think it's also to bring it's important to bring in at this point something that is clear. We do have a number of lines of connection with the Roman Catholic Church where we do stand in agreement with them and one of them is in the area of Trinity. You've talked you've been talking about how uh, councils were formed to address Uh, fundamental and primary doctrinal issues, and it's important to make the point that as Protestants, we don't disagree with the Roman Catholic Church over issues like the Trinity or Christology or the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. That's because those are Catholic documents, universal documents, the Greek Orthodox, the Coptic Church, the Jacobite Church. Uh, You know, we all acknowledge these things, and so that means we as Protestants must acknowledge them because we are Catholic in spirit. Yeah, some people who are not Roman Catholic have such a negative view of everything that is Roman Catholic that they are just blind. They don't see that a large body of Roman Catholic doctrine is orthodox, is true, is something that we as Protestants believe. 
And what you have to look at and see is that Protestant theologians don't only quote Protestants from the Reformation era and forward. We quote the Church Fathers because the Church Fathers didn't see themselves as Roman Catholic, even though Roman theologians today try to make it look like that. They saw themselves as Catholic, universal. And so we quote Augustine, we quote Thomas Aquinas, and we utilize their works. Why? Because they are part of the Catholic universal tradition of the Church to which we must belong if we are Christians. We said that we do believe and belong to a holy Catholic Church, and that doesn't mean that we're Roman Catholic, but we'll talk about what it does mean when we come back. This is Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge. Are you looking for a church that values the Word of God and the rediscovery of its riches in the Protestant Reformation? Hi, I'm Pastor Adam Kalusti, and I want to invite you to join us at the Ontario United Reformed Church. We worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. Take the Euclid Avenue exit off the 60 freeway, go north one block to Philadelphia Street, turn right, and you'll see us. That's the Ontario United Reformed Church, 866-99-UNITED. So much of the teaching happening in the church today is about how to become something, whether it's how to become a better spouse or parent or how to become more on fire for God. In the pursuit of becoming something else, we've forgotten who we already are. Come and experience the present realities of your Christian life through the Word and Sacrament at Grace Evangelical Church in Torrance, where the focus is on what God has done for you instead of what God could do for you. Call us at 310-782-7019 or visit us online at graceevangelicalchurch.org Welcome back, sinners and saints. We're saying that the Bible teaches that we must believe and belong to one holy Catholic church. Where does it talk about that? Well, there's many lines of argument you could pursue here, and probably a number of texts in the New Testament, but one that is very clear and unambiguous is what Paul says in Ephesians 4. He says, he, he calls upon the saints to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He says there's one body and one Spirit, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And so Paul is saying here that there is a holy Catholic Church. Throughout the entire scriptures, in fact, you have this idea of a clearly identifiable covenant community that always shows unity to the outside world. And even at the very end of the age, when Christ comes to call to himself his bride, there is only one bride made beautiful and pure, not multiple brides that have to be called together in a harem. Yeah, let's point out, too, that the church did not start in the New Testament. Church did not start when Pentecost came. The New Covenant Church started at that time, but the church had always been existing from Adam and Eve forward, people who called on the true God and believed in the promise of Christ either to come or after he came, looked back on Christ and believed on him. Those people all belonged to the one Catholic church that has existed from the beginning of time and will to the end of the world. When you look at the letters in Revelation, you also have this the wording It says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, to the angel of the church in. In other words, there might be a particularized manifestation of the universal church, but there aren't multiple churches competing with one another. So when we say we believe in the one church, we believe in the church that is descended through Christ and the apostles, the covenant community of the present age. And what we must do is identify with it and belong to it. But in order to identify it, I got to know what it is so that I can find it. How can I find the Catholic church? church today? Well, historically, Protestants have uh, distinguished the true church from the false by saying that the true church 
is marked out by three basic commitments. Number one, the faithful preaching of the Word of God, the proper administration of the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and then finally, the exercise of church discipline. Now, there's a lot more to identifying a Catholic church, that this is indeed a real, true church of Christ. We have to flesh that out a little bit, but those have always been the parameters. That's the that's where the discussion actually begins to take place. So what I hear you saying, we're united, first of all, on doctrine. We have a common confession. What we say we believe is what unites us. Yeah, so you have to go back to the original, the ecumenical, the universal accepted creeds of the church, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. You have to say, yes, this is our foundational beliefs on the doctrine of the Trinity. Then we have to go and say, what do we believe about Christ? What do we believe about salvation? And the Catholic Church is that which believes the truth that Scripture has revealed, which a lot of the Protestant confessions from the Reformation era really beautifully express. So did you hear what we're saying? You have to find the Catholic Church by finding the Church that teaches the right doctrine. And that doctrine, which the Church, the Catholic Church, has agreed on in history, is expressed in the historic Protestant confessions. Those are particular confessions. You have to look for those, too. It's not just anybody who has any confession, but we're talking the Westminster Confession, the Second Helvetic, the Three Forms of Unity, which is the Belgic Confession, Heidelberg Catechism, Canons of Dort, you have to be where these confessions are believed and preached. There are all kinds of statements of faith or confessions or doctrinal expressions or things that you have to sign to be a leader in this church or that church based on what you believe. You have to evaluate them, of course, in light of the Word of God and then in light of how the Catholic Church has submitted to the Word of God and expressed them in history. And that's how you find the Catholic Church. That's how you have confidence that you are being united with the true church. Okay, so you're listening to this right now, and you're saying, well, I believe in all that, and I'm at this church over here, a local community church around the corner, and we believe all these things. We believe in the Scripture alone. We believe in the Trinity and all this, and we have sacraments and everything. We need to bring this down to a more practical level. Go back to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. Here's just one practical instance in where you can test yourself whether you are part of a holy Catholic church, and that's the issue of baptism. Paul says there is one baptism. Now ask yourself, how many baptisms do you have in your church? Do you have a baptism for believers only, or do you also include the covenant children of believers within that baptism? How many of you in the last few months have witnessed something called a baby dedication? Well, look in the scriptures. You can't find a single instance of that. That is not a sacrament. And so if you're saying that there's only a baptism for adults and not one for babies, and then you add this baby dedication ceremony into the church life, you're saying now there's more than one baptism. There's a third kind of a category here, which uh, we call a baby presentation or a baby dedication. Well, that's adding to the sacraments of the church. That's adding a new baptism. You know, some people are going to try and get around that and say, well, we'd never said that dedication was a sacrament. All it is is a dedication. Here's the problem, though. The Bible says there is one baptism. There is only one true baptism. And we believe, as the Catholic Church has professed, not Roman Catholic, but the Catholic Church has professed throughout history, that uh, infants, that children of covenant believers should be baptized based on the promises that are given in God's Word. That we must do that. And that is the biblical pattern for baptism. If you don't follow that... You are in a sectarian group that has divided itself from the Catholic Church based on false doctrine. You get the same thing in dealing with the doctrines of salvation. 
You have people who say that you know salvation should be only for the good, and so those who accomplish some meritorious work should receive these blessings of life for everlasting. And Scripture teaches salvation by grace alone. That means that it is entirely the work of God and not some hoop you jump through, whether it's the sinner's prayer, whether it's the bare exercise of your self-generated faith or whatever else. What you need then is to say, what is the truth? Well, you're not all theologians. You haven't read all 2,000 years of church history and the debates. So where do you go? You go to the confessions. The confessions can then be evaluated to see if they are biblical and sound and systematic. And then the church that believes it and teaches it is the true Catholic church. And that's where you need to be. Yeah, and this is a very important uh, point to get down here. Because what's happening with Protestantism is we all say, yes, we believe in a holy Catholic church. We recite the Apostles' Creed together, and we try to make our best efforts at trying to unite with all the churches around us, and yet we continue to splinter and to fragment over all these silly little peripheral issues. And so on the one hand, we say we affirm the Holy Catholic Church, and on the other hand, we are demonstrating by our behavior and our schismatic activities that we don't really uh, believe this. We're not committed to this because we are finding new essentials all the time. Well, that's true. But the other side of that coin is people will say, no, you guys are the ones who are splitting over secondary matters. I mean, you'll hear this all the time. The problem with Reformed or Calvinist churches is that these secondary issues have caused them to divide themselves. But listen, it's not that complicated, and you're just making excuses for not dealing with the historic teachings of the Christian church and evaluating them in light of the Scripture. There's a Christian man that I respect very much, and he's over 80 years old, and he told me this is how simple it was for me and my parents. We used to go by horse and buggy to church every Sunday, and we would pass a church that was 20 minutes closer to our house every week. And I used to ask my mom, he said when I was very young, how come we just don't stop and go to that church? And she always turned to me and said, we go to the Reformed Church because it is the most biblical of all the churches and what they teach. And that is as simple as it is for you. You have to find out what historic Protestant Reformed churches teach You have to evaluate those teachings based on the Bible. And then when you find that they are the closest to the truth of the options that are out there, you must go and unite yourself to that one Catholic church. So what you need to do now is ask yourself, what is the Catholic church? We've already said it's that where the it's that place where the true doctrines are. And these are the doctrines that go back for the scriptures that have been interpreted throughout the church age, and now they have been systematized, codified in the Reformation confessions. So go, read them. If you don't have them, call us. We'll send them to you. And then learn the truth, go to where the true church is, and stop making excuses and trying to justify false churches as real, trying to soothe your conscience. 866-99-UNITED, 866-99-UNITED, to get this body of confessions, to evaluate them based on the Word of God yourself. When we come back to Sinners and Saints, we'll talk more about being Catholic. We'll be right back. Reformation Radio, theology with an edge. Come to worship God at the Pasadena United Reformed Church. Worship Him in spirit and in truth. Hear the gospel faithfully preached. Rejoice in the God of your salvation. Come and join us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. We are located at 226 West Colorado in Arcadia off the Santa Anita exit of the 210 freeway. Call us at 866-99-UNITED or visit us at urcsocal.org. Welcome back to Sinners and Saints. 
We're glad you're with us. We're talking about believing and belonging to a holy Catholic church. And we've told you that it's important, no matter what church you're in, to find out what the historic Protestant Reformed churches believed and evaluate those teachings based on the Word of God and then to go there. But in saying that, we're not saying that we as Reformed Christians are immune to uh, the problem of being schismatic or unnecessarily divisive. No, I think we have to be honest here and examine our own practices and and what's in fact happening in Reformed churches today. There's just as much splintering and fragmentation within the Reformed community today as there is in the evangelical church at large and then even beyond that to the other denominations out there. And one thing that we have to do as Reformed people is be honest with ourselves. Hey, if we're going to say, I believe in a holy Catholic church, then we as Reformed people who say we believe the same things about Scripture alone and faith alone and grace alone and Christ alone and the same kind of church government and things like this, we need ourselves to come together in unity and say, hey, you know what? We need to stop the fragmentation. If we're going to have a witness to the world and if we're going to have a witness to the evangelical church, and the broader church today, I think it begins with us. We have to be able to be willing to sit together and hammer out a set of agreements on doctrine and practice and so forth so that we become united. Well, the irony of that is we already have that set of documents. It's called the three forms of unity. It's called the confessions that we supposedly agree to agree on and then let other things sort of be peripheral and secondary. But what happens is you get this cultural group or you get that particular group that has this view of this topic and some particular view of this interpretation of this passage of Scripture, and that also then sort of finds its way into the what it means to essentially be a Reformed Christian. And then we have these divisions in denominations or among local churches, and there is absolutely no place for that. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. And if Reformed churches do that, we are not opening ourselves as the example as a united, holy Catholic Church. We have to really take seriously that profession. There is one holy Catholic Church, and we must believe the true doctrines, and we must display as much as possible a visible unity that the world can identify. And when we do not do that, I believe we hurt our witness greatly. That said, that doesn't mean that we're now going to minimize what we believe to be of the essence. That must We must go back and say, what is it that the church has historically considered of the essence? And that does not include things like the color of the carpet, the design of the building, or how big the choir should be. The essence of the scriptures, the essence of what must be believed is, who is God? Who is Christ? How is man saved? And what are we to do to glorify God? That is what we have to concentrate on, which the confessions all articulate. And, you know, another practical step towards making this work its way out in practical terms in the Reformed churches is to realize that congregations have liberty to have certain kinds of practices and procedures, and not every single Reformed congregation has to do the same the same way at the same time. I think there's one more distinction that would be helpful. You know, when I'm looking for a Reformed church— What happens if I get there and the doctrine seems to be taught properly from the pulpit, the confessions are upheld, the Bible is is preached, the the sacraments are administered properly, discipline is exercised, but I see there's some unruliness or some harsh people in the church or there's some sin in the congregation. Does that automatically disqualify the church as being a holy Catholic church? Absolutely not, because Jesus himself even said there are going to be wheat and tares growing together simultaneously throughout the church age. 
And the apostles fully understood this. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, which is filled with sin, filled with schismatics, and still calls them the Holy Church, recognizes them as part of the body of Christ. Same thing in the book of Revelation when the churches are being written to. So what we have to say is the church on earth is not glorified, is not perfect, is not filled with angels, but it is also the only place where truth is preached, where God works through his spirit. I have to go there knowing that around me there will be hypocrites and apostates, and yet this is how God knows his church will be, and in the last day he will purify and glorify it. I'll let him take care of his business. So the point is then, we search for a true holy Catholic congregation. We ask ourselves, is the Constitution in order? Are the doctrines what the confessions say they must be? And we begin with those objective points of reference And we realize that within this body, there are going to be disagreements and there are going to be problems. There's going to be sinful people until Christ returns. But we focus on the objectives, the main and plain. And don't take this lightly. The church has believed historically, and we say in our confessions, those who are outside the church have no salvation. If you will not be identified with the true Catholic church, you have no salvation. You cannot have God for your father unless you take the church to be your mother. We agree with that statement. We'll talk even more about that next week on Sinners and Saints. Join us next week as we tackle more topics with the truth of God's Word on Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge. For more information, call 866-99-UNITED or log on to the web at urcsocal.org. That's 866-99-UNITED.